While we're getting our hearts and minds now back to the service, if you would turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 5. Luke, chapter 5. I wish I could sing. I would just start out with amazing grace. Amen. Those of you that received, uh, while you're turning to your scripture, those of you that received the voting guide, it is for the Senate race. And the other ones, the other material, we was hoping to have it by this Sunday. They did not come in. So hopefully next Sunday we'll give you where we can give you about the governors and the different uh, uh, different kinds of races that's going on around and the different information about the different things that's popping up to vote on. So we hope to do that next Sunday. Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 1, if you'd stand for reading of the Word of God. Before I start, everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Say it again. Let's get in a frame of mind one more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gethsemane. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon Peter's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people out of that ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out of the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and we have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, we will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both of the ships so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of fishes that they had taken. Brother Richardson, would you pray the blessings over the word of the Lord this morning, please, in the anointing. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you like those moments when you're overwhelmed and astonished at something? I think we all like those moments, those big bane moments in our life where we are blown away by an event or by a happening or experience that took place in our lives. We like those times when we are surprised and are overwhelmingly amazed by someone or something. And we love the thrill and the excitement that comes by the element of surprise. We all like that mystery of surprise, don't we? When you just kind of walk in and wow, that took place in my life. But there are very few times in life that something just grabs your attention and presses you to the point that you'll never forget it as long as you live. Those moments are far in between in every one of our lives. But this is exactly what has happened to Peter during this particular story. A matter of fact, the Bible says in verse 9 that Peter was astonished and all that were with him that the draught of the fishes which they had taken. This was a wow moment in the life of these disciples. How many of you want a wow moment in your life, a suddenly 
to take place in your life. We all like that. We all want that. There may be a lot of things that may have impressed old Peter, but I want to tell you, it wasn't easy to impress Peter when it come to fishermen, uh, fishing because he was a professional fisherman and he'd done it for, for his living. He went out and that's what he'd done. He was a commercial fisherman. And yet the carpenter of Galilee impressed him about fishing techniques. Uh, a matter of fact, the Bible says that all of the fishermen that was with Peter were astonished. This Jesus of Nazareth, this carpenter of Galilee, astonished men in their own field of expertise. It's one thing to be impressed in the areas where you're not skilled or where you're not knowledgeable in, but it's even more impressive when someone impresses you in the things that you are most familiar with. Don't ever think that you can't learn or grow inside your field of expertise. No matter how skilled or how gifted or talented or anointed or knowledgeable you are in a specific field or in a, in a specific giftedness. When it comes to God, you have a lot to learn than what you really know or what you can really even think about or even imagine. I'm afraid that all too often this is what's wrong with the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe this is what's wrong with the church in the 21st century and that is that we have came to believe that we are experts of doing church. We know how to do church. We know how to push the right buttons. We know how to make things happen. We come in and we mechanically go through our system and our rituals and mechanics of worship and we know how to do church. We have come to believe that we're deep in the area of our giftedness but in reality we haven't even skimmed the surfaces of yet. And we have learned to settle in the shallowness of our own perception and we remain shallow in our experiences and we view ourselves as spiritual but in reality we are mediocre at best. Let me say this, no matter how good we are, there is a lot of improvement for every single one of us. And no matter how gifted that we may have come and how anointed that we have become, we have not even skimmed the surface of what God has set up for us. Can I have an amen? What you have now cannot compare to what God wants you to have in your future. That is something that we got to understand. But so many of us, we grow to a certain place and then we stop and then we settle and then we learn how to operate in that giftedness and it becomes a crutch and that becomes our source of survival. And we know nothing else outside of the realm of that giftedness. But God wants me to challenge some of you thinkers here today. I don't care if you've been serving the Lord for 40 years. He's got something new for you. He's got something in store for you that you didn't even know existed and God wants to bring you into the reality of his goodness. How many's ready for the goodness of God? Something new, something fresh, a mystery, an element of surprise. Aren't you tired of the same old mundane things every single day? Sometimes I get to, we eat out about every day because uh, I live so far away and I, I don't bring my lunch and, and we get so tired. We'll sit around for an hour. Where are we going? Well, I don't want to go there. I'm burnt out on that. I'm burnt out. When you got a big group, everybody's burnt out on something. Well, I want to tell you when it comes to religion, we never get burnt out. We just settle. And I'm here to tell you that God is wanting to say something to our church and that is that even though we view ourselves spiritual as a palace of praise and even though we got certain things going on and certain things are good, there's room for improvement because I want to tell you we are mediocre at best when we stand in the presence of God because God's got way more than what we've tapped into. And I'm ready to tap into something new. I'm ready to tap into something fresh. I'm ready to tap into a new wave of anointing, a new level, a new redemption, a new realm of the spirit that we've never tasted or that we have never seen. Are you ready for that? If you are, give him a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lord, help me preach this morning.
The whole concept of this story is learning how to move out of the things that, that are familiar and to the deep things of God. The first thing that we see is a moment when Jesus enters into Simon Peter's boat and he tells him, he says, thrust out a little bit from the land. That was what Jesus said to him. And the word thrust means, listen, to push or to shove something or someone in a specific direction. It means to steer them, to direct them. And when we think, we think that Jesus only done this so that he could minister to the multitude of people that were on the shore. No doubt about it, he used the ship as his pulpit. They launched him out so that he could get out from among the crowd where the people could see him. If you're in the middle of the crowd, only those that are around you can see you and everybody else is trying to tiptoe to see who you are. So he gets in this boat, he thrust out a little bit from the sea, the shore, so that people could see him. And also we know that that water was like a microphone where his voice carried over that water where more people could hear him. And so therefore we know in the natural that he done this and we think that's why he done it. And even though it is true that in the natural he done that this for that very reason, yet it is here that Jesus is teaching far more than what is natural or even obvious to the natural eye. But he was teaching an object lesson to the disciples that he would soon make fishermen of men. He was teaching them before you can have an impact upon crowds you have to have, uh, you have to be on a different level or you have to go into a different dimension or you have to go into a different realm. There has to be a depth about us if we're going to be effective. How many wants a deep-seated anointed? Amen? Not just something that is charismatic in nature that attracts, but you want the anointing in your life that breaks down strongholds, that literally attacks the enemy and shoves them backwards. You want an anointing that is more than just an appeal or an attraction or a beauty, a thrill, a feeling, an emotion, where your hair stands up and you got goosebumps. A lot of people just settle in that realm of anointing. But let me tell you, I'm not so worried at this age of mine anymore about the feeling and the anointing and the feeling and the emotions than I am to have an anointing that breaks down the yokes off of people's necks and breaks down strongholds that sets people free. I'm ready to see an authentic move of God at the palace of praise that shakes this world for the glory of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. If you, I tell you what, I'm going to liven you. If you believe that and want that, stand to your feet and praise God for it in advance. Amen. You want it? Do you want it? Do you want it? I say, do you want it? Amen. I don't want to be preaching to myself here this morning. You cannot reach shoreline people by dwelling on the shoreline yourself. In other words, the church has to get out of its shoreline experiences in order to be effective and cause those wild moments that catch fish. You want to catch fish, how many wants to win the harvest? Then we got to have some wow moments in our life. We got to have it where we're astonished, where we're amazed, where it's not business as usual. Come on, somebody help me, amen. When people walk into our place, we need people's jaws to drop and say, wow, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. Amen, that's what we're seeking for. That's what this pastor's leading to. That's what my dream is. That's what my vision is. But Jesus knew that he could not get them from the shoreline to the depth that he actually wanted them by one single thrust. So he pushes them in the direction 
direction of their destiny. He begins to steer them into the right direction. He begins to set them on the on their course for the moment of their significance to happen. He knew that it would be humanly impossible for them to move into the depth that he wanted them to in just one single movement. So he begins little by little drawing them out toward the thing that he has designed and appointed for them to have. Can I tell you that you, God's got things designed for you that your imagination cannot even imagine. Did you know that God's got things in your future planned for you? Whether or not you tap into them and see them is relatively up to you. But I'm here to tell you that God's got more for you than what you've experienced in your past, what you're experiencing now, and what you'll ever experience because God is an ever-creative God. He never stops evolving things in our lives. And God's got better things for his church than what we're experiencing right now. Amen? You believe that? Of course he does. You know, when I was a young preacher and we went to Ninth and Cedar, my vision was very narrow and we began to build and we began to put an addition on the back and then we put addition on, we bought 16 different houses. We put up a big vision in our foyer and we was gonna buy that whole block and build a big church down there on Ninth and Cedar. I'm glad that did not happen. But that vision, everybody says, well, what happened? Did God change his mind? It was a vision God gave me. And I said, and then I began to pray about that years ago when we decided to change vision. It was very hard for me because I'd locked into that vision. All of a sudden, the Lord said, I only gave you that vision to spur you on because if I would have showed you the things that I have got for you, you could not have handled them. Amen. God cannot show you the full glimpse of what God's got in store for you because it's bigger than who you are. You cannot comprehend it. You cannot perceive it. And you would not even push toward it because it would be so much in your mind as if that is unobtainable. That's unrealistic. I can't do it. I'm not educated enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. And we would make excuses and we would abort the vision because we would not be able to grasp it all and take a hold of it. So God sees this in Peter. He knew he could not get Peter and them other fishermen out where he wanted them to do in one, in one movement. So he says, hey, let's just thrust out a little bit from the shore. The Bible says that they thrust their way off of the shore. And in order to have something significant, you cannot be a crowd dweller. You cannot go where everybody else goes. You cannot do what everybody else does. You cannot be whatever everybody else is. And let me tell you something. You have to dare to be different. Can I have an amen? Are you ready to be different? Are you ready to quit settling and say, and sometimes you have to do things that is contrary to the crowd movement and be someone that'll step out and do something that no one else will do. It can be a lonely place. Amen? But he begins to set these people up. He knew for them to be able to leave the shoreline experience that he had to entice them somehow and to attract them. So he tests them and he looks at Peter. They putting up their nets. They gave up fishing. They've been out all night, hadn't done any good, and all of a sudden he says, hey, Peter, let me borrow your boat. His name's Simon at the time. Thrust out a little bit. Jesus was actually luring them, these disciples, into a place of the deep without them ever even knowing it. Did you know some of you are being pushed and some of you are being, being thrust in areas of, that is directing you to a wild movement in your life and you don't even realize it? You don't even recognize the movement that's taking place in your own life. It just seems like a natural, a natural thing that's taking place, and yet God is doing far more work in you than what you can ever imagine. How many believe uh, Philippians 1 and 6 and being confident? Say confident. Say it again. Three times a charm. Being confident this very thing. He which begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
And here's God wanting his disciples to have the best, but he knows in order to get the best, he's got to launch them little by little or, or, or thrust them. Jesus tells Peter to thrust out a little bit from the land, and Peter's obedient, and he does it. Let me tell you, a lot of us don't mind going off of the shoreline as long as we don't have to go too far. Amen? As long as it's still the shorelines in our visual, you know, and we're, we're seeing it and we feel secure. No one minds shin deep water, but I want to tell you something. When you get into that place that is overwhelming, you begin to get afraid and you begin to get fearful. And what God is saying is, I can't let them become overwhelmed too much at one time because if I do, they'll never be able to go into their destiny. So God begins to say, let's just thrust out a little place. And it is here that Jesus sat down in this ship and he taught the people. But not only is he teaching the people, he's doing something far more greater in the heart of his disciples. Here there was a discipleship moment, a time of hearing the word, a time of preparation, a time of listening, a time of learning. And it was here that the disciples began to get a create, a cre, a, he, that God began to create a hunger heart in their life. How do we know that? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And let me tell you something, you'll never go to the different levels and the different depths and the different realms of the spirit unless you do it by the hearing of the word of the Lord. There has to be a discipleship moment and many discipleship moments along the way for you to grow and for you to mature. Can I have an amen? That may not be shouting preaching because there's some work involved in that, but nevertheless, Jesus begins to teach them. Then something unusual happens that many of us never catch in this story. Look at verse four with me. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. And you say, well, there, I see everything in that scripture. You probably have not seen what the Holy Spirit revealed to me today. First of all, the very object lesson that Jesus showed them is now being put into reality. He was giving them the chance to experience what he just mentored in front of them. He, he, he who drew multitudes of people for the purpose to reach them for the kingdom of God, he thrust himself outside of that, of that crowd so that he could win them. The only way that he could win them is for them to see him and hear him and to where he could fellowship with them. And the only way he could do that is separate himself and thrust himself out there. This is what Jesus done in front of his disciples. He now is positioning his disciples for the greatest catch that they will ever catch in their life. But notice, Jesus did not tell Peter to thrust out into the deep, but this time he uses the word launch out into the deep, okay? The word launch means to hurl something forcefully, to make a sudden energetic movement, an act of instant motion, to force, to compel, to violently force in a specific direction, to literally overwhelm oneself. This is where Christ picks you up and he places you right smack dab in the middle of your potential. Hallelujah. It's where you have a wow moment in your life and say, how in the world did I get here? Have you ever had those moments? Have you ever had that time when God just moved upon you and all of a sudden you found yourself doing things you thought? I remember the first time this happened to me. It was at a prayer conference when I was just a young preacher and there was about two or 300 people there and that, maybe more than that, there's probably 400 people and the church was jam-packed and it was all full of preachers. And they, these preachers were great men of faith, great men of, of the word of God. They were de, from all different denominations. Mainly it was the church of God denomination. And there was seasoned men there, doctors of theology and, and all of that kind of a thing. And all of a sudden I was sitting about the third or the fourth pew back. And the preacher was John Nichols. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. He began to preach and the spirit of God hit that place. And when it did... I w jumped up and w ran the back of pews, on the back of the pews, and I didn't even know it. 
And I was just going across the pews like this. And then when I hit, I began to dance in the spirit. And that place erupted. It came alive. And never in my life, when it all come to, I thought, what just happened to me? It was an overwhelming suddenly that God done in my life. Let me tell you, before I even get to my notes, you better get ready because there's about some wow moments, some suddenly moments about to take place. God is about to launch the palace of praise into his divine destiny. Can I have an amen? Y'all ain't getting excited like I am. This is where he gives you divine opportunity. The difference in the word thrust and the word launch is this. Thrust was an opportunity of invitation. It had to be followed up with obedience. The word launch was not an invitation. It was a direct command. It carries with it a force. It speaks of a violent, energetic, sudden movement and an instant motion. This means one reacts before he ever even has time to think about it. It means he's overwhelmingly compelled. It means to be moved by a compelling force beyond yourself. It means to be overwhelmed by the presence of God. The word launch carries with it the same force and the same authority as when Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus and he spoke these words. Lazarus, come forth. Oh my goodness. It was not an invitation for him to come forth. It was a direct command. When Jesus spoke those words, nothing or no one could stop this man from coming up out of the grave. Hell could not stop him. Demons could not stop him. The powers of darkness could not stop him. Why? Because Jesus had spoke the word in an authoritative way. It was a violent force that hit that tomb and Lazarus had to obey. As a matter of fact, if Jesus would not have used the word Lazarus, if he would have just said, come forth, everyone in that graveyard would have jumped up out of their graves and started walking. Because it was an authoritative word. It was a word that had force behind it. It was as if Jesus went up to old Lazarus and said, Lazarus, launch, come alive. And that's what God began to show me in this scripture. The word launch is the same kind of word that is used in describing Jesus being launched into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Matter of fact, it was Luke that said, in Luke 4 and 1, he says, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. But Mark chapter 1 verse 12 uses a much more violent word or a much forceful word than that of being led by the Spirit. This is what it says in Mark chapter 1 verse 12. And immediately the Spirit driveth Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist to fulfill all righteousness. Here's Jesus being thrusted. He's in obedience to the Father. He's moving out of his experience and he's going further in his devotion. He's going further in his walk of faith. And he's fulfilling all righteousness by being baptized. And immediately when he comes up out of the water and the spirit of the Lord comes down upon him, descends upon him, and said, this is my beloved son, which I am well pleased. Immediately after that, it says, and immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and for 40 nights. Remember what the word launch meant? To hurl, to make a suddenly energetic movement, an act of instant motion, to compel the spirit driving him was no invitation. It was an overwhelming force that compelled Jesus instantly and suddenly to go. He was overtaken and compelled by an overwhelming force that launched him into the area of the wilderness. And no one, none of us would have wanted to go to that wilderness to be tempted and tested. It was not in him to do it, but Jesus was forced by the spirit. It lifted him up as if to say, you're going whether you want to go or not. 
Now, it is the same word, this word launch, is the same word when Peter was in the boat in the storm. And he's out there and he sees Jesus walking on the water and he's overwhelmed by what he sees. He's having a wow moment. And Jesus lets him, and Jesus, uh, say, he says to Jesus, he said, let me come or bid me to let me come to where you were at. What did the, what Jesus say? And Jesus said, come. It's the same kind of word. And it says, immediately Peter got out of the boat and he began to walk on water. He jumped out before he could ever even think about it. It was spontaneous. He says, boom, and he just starts walking on water. He starts doing something he can't do. He starts doing something that's humanly impossible. He don't even realize what he's doing. It's like me walking the back of pews. I could just see this old boy trying to run the backs of those chairs in the flesh. I'd probably break my neck. But Peter, just in the spirit, got caught up. And before he ever realized it, he's walking on water with Jesus. How many's ready to walk on some water? I said, how many is ready to walk on some water? Amen. He was caught up with an overwhelming force that compelled him to get out of a boat. He was launched out of the boat that day by one spoken word of Jesus, and that was, come, boom, he just started walking. It was that authoritative word. He was forced and compelled by the Spirit and moved instantly. It says, and immediately he went. Now, I want to tell you, if you don't believe me, he didn't have time to sit around he had no choice or because he didn't have time to sit around and say, oh, it's lightning. Oh, it's raining. Oh, the waves are big. Oh, there's a lot going on here. Man, the, the, the winds are contrary. I, I can't do this. He didn't even have time to think about that. How do I know? Because after he gets out there, all of a sudden he comes to himself, what in the world did I just do? How did I? Oh, the winds are contrary. Oh, he begins to sink. He got out over his head before he ever even realized it. You know why? Because if he knew that he had to get out over his head by simple, by faith, he could not have done it. God had to place him somewhere where he could not go himself. And God is about to pick some people up to get them to go where they can't possibly go by themselves. He's fixing to launch you. The word launch is the same word used in John 20, 22, where Jesus breathed upon his disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And it was by that compelling force that they were driven by the Spirit into the upper room to wait for the promise of the Father. The word launch is the same word used in Ezekiel 3.14. So the Spirit lifted me up, took me away, and I went in bitterness and the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strung upon me. In other words, here's what Ezekiel's saying. I kicked, I fought, I went in bitterness, I went in the heat of my spirit, I did not want to go. But I had to go. Why? Because the Spirit lifted me up and the hand of the Lord was strung upon me and he made me go. That is where you and I are fixing to go in into a realm and a dimension where that we are literally fixing to get over our head. Let me give you an example. Jedediah, where you at, buddy? Is he asleep on me? Hey, come here, Jedediah. Come here, buddy. Come to Papa. Hey, all right. Come on, big guy. Come on, big guy. All right, now did you just see what happened to little Jed Jedediah? What did he do? I said, come, and he started coming because he loves his papa. Hey, can you say papa's buddy? Say it real loud. <laughs> say it real loud. Papa's buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now you say, what would have happened if he wouldn't have come? Oh, he would have come. <laughs> I was ready. I was prepared. I, I'm no dummy in this sermon. 
Even if I had to entice him like Jesus has to entice us. Now, the difference is, first of all, I'm going to give him his gift for obeying Papa. This is for obeying Papa. Woo, hold on now, you ain't going nowhere. Let me show you the difference between a thrust. A thrust is me saying, Jedediah, come here. And by an invitation on his own accord without him and him's. Hallelujah, what a smart boy. He gets out of his pew and he comes running to his pawpaw as an invitation. That's what Peter did when he was thrusted. Peter, thrust out, okay. Simple command, he does it. But I wanna show you what the word thrust means. It means that God says, okay, or the word launch. Now I wanna show you the difference. Launch is this. Amen. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Somebody's fixed to get the surprise of their life because the Spirit's going to come by and grab somebody by the seat of the britches, by the nap of the neck, and they're going to launch you into your destiny. Can you have an amen? Peter was launched because Jesus knew the unlikelihood for Peter to thrust down in the deep and simple obedience. It was a well-known fact in the Sea of Galilee, fishermen caught fish at night in the shallow waters and not in full daylight in the deep. I don't care what Bud Middleton tells you, there's other ways to fish. <laughs> Amen? For Peter to obey Jesus and launch out in the deep and let down nets for a catch would have went against all logic and common sense to his profession. Amen? Peter could have said, well, we fished this way for 20 years. This is the way it's always been done, Jesus. This is what's been effective in the past. And Jesus could have said, well, if that is true, what happened last night? Because out of Peter's own mouth, he comes up and washing his net and says, we have toiled all night and we have caught nothing. What worked in the last 20 years may not be working in the 21st century. What we like, we like to stay in the shallows, that familiar place, the places of comfort. We like to stay in the perimeters of the tested and the proven. This is the way we've done church for 20 years. This is the way that we sing our songs for 20 years. This is the way that we conduct business. This is the way that we do our services. This is the way we take up our offering. This is the way that we've done our ministries for 20 years. And you're coming along and you're just changing everything up. We don't like it. That's where the mentality of the church is at in the 21st century. We have no room for growth because we're stuck in the past. We're stuck in the way grandma was raised and grandpa was raised and we're stuck in the experiences of our own confinements of our, and the perception of our own mind and we're dwelling in shallow water and we don't even realize it. Can I have an amen? Just because you had success in yesteryears does not mean that you will today by doing the old methods. And if you keep fishing in the same way, you may not catch the exact same amount of fish but you're going to catch the same kind of fish and you will have the same kind of results. How many is ready for some different results? What you're catching is important, it's necessary, but can you tell you, can I tell you there's greater things to catch? You can have all the crappie you want, but I wanna tell you, you're not having fun until you catch a gar, and a grinnel, and a drum, and an and a eel. Come on, somebody help me preach. You say, I wouldn't have anything to do with that. You ain't been on the other side fighting them suckers. That's fun, amen? Every once in a while, it's just good to cut something that ain't just ain't the way that it's always been. 
And if you keep fishing the same way, you're going to have the same results. There is a difference between a catch and a drought. Some call it a drought. The word catch speaks of a limited amount, but the word drought means a haul, an overabundance, overwhelming supply. How many just want to catch or do you want to drought? That's why the psalmist said, I love it. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He leadeth me in the path. Uh, he, he, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He leadeth me in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me beside the still waters and my cup runneth over. My cup's running over. My cup's running over. We need an overwhelming, overrunning cup in the house of God. Can I have an Amen. There's a difference between that catch and that drought. If you stay on the shoreline, you might influence a few people here and there within your life, but a drought or a haul, the superabundance is for those who launch out in the deep. Peter was a professional fisherman, not Jesus. I could hear Peter now saying, hey, why don't you leave the fishing up to me and you just stick to preaching? Amen. I could hear Peter say, a good preacher doesn't necessarily mean he's a good fisherman. That's probably what Bud's saying about me, but I tell you, Bud's just as wrong about me as Peter was wrong about Jesus. Amen? Jesus knew that Peter was a professional fisherman bound by tradition, bound by logic, captivated by common sense, and this is why he launched him and not thrust him, because Peter would have never moved out of the, that which he had already learned and that which he had already perceived to be the way to do things. Thrusted, you have a choice, but being launched found Peter in the deep before he ever even had time to think about it. This is how much that God loves us. He sets you in the place for your potential and the place of opportunity by launching you. And then even there, he gives you a choice. Most of us would never have the opportunity for greatness or the depth or the overflow and abundance if it was only up to our own choice and the power within ourselves to obey. Because we are bound and we are stooped in religion and tradition and the things familiar and the things that we like more than what we think. Amen? We're bound. Look at somebody and say, we're bound. We are. But after he was placed in the deep, then Jesus says, let down your nets for a catch. Peter's decision to thrust, setting yourself apart for the, from the crowd, that's the first thing that Jesus done to Peter and he didn't even know what was happening. Jesus says, thrust out. Peter then stepped out from among the crowd and became something different than everybody else. And the first thing that you got to do in order to ever experience the deep of things of God is you got to be able to step away from the crowd by being thrusted. You have to obey. It's in this place of hearing God's word and receiving faith that Peter did not even know it, but, the, but his choice to thrust would be the most pivotal point for the rest of his life. It was the single most important decision that he would make because it set him up for a launch. God, God spoke to me. And this is what he said. I do not launch shore dwellers I launch sea sailors. And he said, he launched, I only launch those that's willing to take a risk. Are you willing to take a risk? Are you willing to get out of your places that's so familiar to the routines, the mundanes? One old preacher says, you know what a rut is? It's nothing but a shallow grave that leads you to nowhere. We get in ruts, routines, structures. Sometimes I pray, oh God, come down here and just rattle our cage and get us out of our structures. We do the same things, do this, dress the same way. We like the same kinds of, of food, the same kinds of coffee. We do, we're so a people of routine. We cannot afford to get caught up in a routine of life when it comes to the spiritual events of God. Can I have an amen? But he launches those that obey him. Matter of fact, the Bible even says in Acts 5 and 32, God gives the Holy Ghost to them that what? Obey him. 
As a matter of fact, that's a law. I mean, the thrust, that's a thrust. He fills those that hunger and thirst after righteousness because that's what the book Matthew 5 and 6 says. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. The greatest obstacle in seeing the miraculous power of God is our own apathy. We generally do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, and most of us don't even want to leave our comfort zones. In today's accommodating culture, we are willing to dabble in the service of the Lord. We may even wait out a little bit, be, wait out a little bit deeper than the Christian next to us because it makes us feel better. We have a tendency to justify ourselves by comparing ourselves to others around us. But the problem of it is we only gather those around us that's just like us so that we don't be challenged by somebody that's more spiritual than we are. Amen? I dare not go over to that crowd. They'll challenge me. I'll stay here in the confinements to where I feel like I'm the leader of this flock. And as long as I'm the leader of this flock, it don't matter that you may be the leader of your flock. If you're still in the shallow waters, you're not going to get to the deep things of God. Can I have an amen? We have a tendency to justify ourselves by trying to find somebody that we're better than they are. But we still insist, no matter what, though we might dabble in the water a little bit and wash our feet off, we have this compelling nature to stay near the shore. We dare not thrust ourselves. It's one thing to receive Jesus as your Savior, but it's another thing wholeheartedly to follow him in discipleship. Moving in the deep water requires a full commitment. Can I have an amen? It means you leave the shallows behind and fully surrender to the direction of your captain. In the murky waters of shallow Christianity, we lose focus and we forget the very purpose of why that you and I are saved. In shallow waters, we often get so busy, we generate a full array of programs, but the problem is we don't catch fish. We don't, we don't see the lost saved. Why? Because they toiled, they labored, they worked all night, but they caught no fish. But they're yet professional fishermen. According to Barner Group, a national-wide research, Christian Research Center, three out of four Christians in the United States, 74%, never ever share their faith with anybody. They've never learned how to catch fish. They've never learned how to share their testimony. They've never known how to win souls and yet the proverb said, he that winneth souls is wise. They never have a reason for the hope that lieth within them. They're just shallow Christians. So many are just content with the status quo, just coming to church and leaving and going home, doing your own thing and never operating or never being focused about what the kingdom of God is all about that you've been birthed into. If you are saved, you're birthed into the kingdom of God. Amen? But the problem is, though we're birthed in that kingdom and have all this spiritual stuff at our exposal, yet we operate more in our flesh than we do in our spirit. We're more bound by the secular than we are the sacred. Come on. And we're hollow instead of being holy. And we're finding ourselves separated from the deep things of God that we all hear about, desire to see, want to see, but the problem with it is he can't give it to us because we're sure dwellers instead of sea walkers. We've never thrusted. We've never stepped out, stepped out and shoved off from the shoreline. We like to swim in shallow waters. I'd done an illustration one time, and it was a ridiculous uh, illustration. I put a swimming pool out in the middle of one of them kid pools, in the middle of the sanctuary over there at Ninth and Cedar, and I was preaching on Ezekiel about the, the water that flowed from the altar out of the, out of the, out of the, out of the sanctuary down into the streets, and it went out as a mighty river. 
And I was talking about Ezekiel, which we'll get into after a while, how he started wading in that water. And I said, here's where most of us are at. And I went down to that kiddie pool and I laid down in it as a grown 120-pound man. <laughs> what you laughing at? I was 120 pounds then. No, I wasn't either. I weigh 120 pounds in my right toe. But I'm laying out there and it looked ridiculous. People were just laughing and people thought, you know how that looked? How would, how would you like to go by somebody's house and you're driving by and there's a big swimming pool there at their exposal? I mean a huge thing where you can have a diving board and dive in and splash and you look over and there's a grown man that is 250, 300 pounds and he's in a kiddie pool and he's doing this. Splashing on his belly. And he looks like a whale beached. You'd sit there and laugh and laugh. Why don't the man get up and get over there in that big pool? That's exactly what God's asking us here today. Why are you sitting there acting like idiots in a shallow water beating around on your belly and you look like a beached whale when you could be moving and living and breathing and having the abundant supply of my spirit? Can I have an Amen. Many just sat at the dock overlooking the water offering only complaints when our nation turns away from God. They have no real answers, no real solutions because they're shoreline dwellers. The second most important decision Peter would make is to let down the net as the command. Now Jesus says, let down your nets for a drought. Peter looks at him and says, he has to open his mouth. Now Lord, we've been toiling, working, laboring all night. We know how to fish. And we've caught nothing. And you're telling us to let down our nets for a drought? Come on. But then something hits him. But nevertheless, at your word, we'll let it down. Catching fish wasn't just symbolic of the harvest of souls and them becoming fishers of men, folks. It was their livelihood. Everything of success hinged around them uh, letting down this net. If you want to prosper in the spirit, then thrust yourself out a little bit from the shore. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. Do your part. God will do his part. Those of you that have thrusted, hear the word of the Lord. He's saying, launch out in the deep. Don't settle. Don't be dictated by tradition. Don't be bound by religion. Don't sit by idle, complacent, uncommitted to the cause of the kingdom. Don't be accommodated by this culture. Don't dabble in shallow water any longer. Be like Ezekiel. He went from ankle deep to shin deep to knee deep to waist deep to chest deep to neck deep. And before you know it, what did it say about Ezekiel? I found myself over my head swimming in waters that I could not swim across. It was deeper and wider and mightier than I. And then he, don't, don't you want a drought and not just a catch? Don't you want an abundance and not just a portion? Don't you want to be whole and not just have a part? They caught so much fish. I love this part. They caught so much fish that their nets began to break, their ship began to sink. You know what that means in the spiritual realm? They got more than what they bargained for. They couldn't even contain everything that God had for them. And it literally means that their structure could not handle the amount of blessing that God has. In order to, you know, whatever you receive is going to be determined by the structure you build in your life. You want to live shallow? You're going to, you're going to have a shallow catch. You're not going to have much in your life. 
You're not going to know the deep things. Your children won't know the deep things. Oh, they'll know everything about the secular. They'll get caught up in the secular world. It just irritates the fire out of me, to be honest with you. To see parents manipulated by children who are not discipled and say, oh, I just don't connect in the youth group. Oh, I just don't. And all along, they allow them to pursue the secular while in return, the sacred is sitting over there and they have no gunshot about them as parents to say, young lady or young man, you're going to listen to me and you're going to go to the youth group and you're going to get connected. And if you'll just push them, if you'll just shove them a little bit, if you'll just steer them like Jesus did his disciples, if you'll just thrust them, thrust is uncomfortable. It puts you in uncomfortable places. It gets you away from your normal experiences. Some of these children need to be thrusted by parents. And they end up being children that stay in church until they become a full age and they get married and then they come very shallow and hollow in their experience and they never know the power of God and many of them end up never knowing Jesus Christ completely as Lord and Savior of their life. But they've been trained well, they've been brought every Sunday morning where they sit on a pew and they're not involved in anything. Never connected with anybody in the church. And then all of a sudden it becomes the church's fault. When the availability is there, the big pool is there. But they're hanging around in the shallow kiddie pool the whole life. It's all right for a two-year-old to be in the shallows. But folks, when you're 16 years old, you don't need to be riding a tricycle. You need to be driving a car. We'll shove them in the natural We'll do everything we can to make sure they're right on time for their ball games. They're right on time for their, their this, their cheerleading. They're right on time for their, their programs. But when it comes to the house of God, they'll drag in 20 minutes late. And all of a sudden, the children are taught what their priority is. They know nothing about God and the priority of the kingdom. They're not kingdom livers. They're shore drillers. Can I have an Amen. But what happens is that little bird, they'll flock together and they'll all have the same mind. They'll feel good about what they're doing and they'll sit in their little circles and justify what they're doing in their speech about how the church, it's just hard to get connected there. That's nuts. Stop it. Woo, I feel a blistering going on. Lord's after somebody. But watch this. They throw out their nets. They begin to bring in the fishes so much that they have to call for another ship, their partners, to come and help them. And you know what they do? They fill up that ship to where it begins to sink. You know what the Holy Spirit spoke to me, Bob? That God wants to bless this place with overabundance to where we can't handle them all and that through the palace of praise, other ships, other churches that have learned how to be obedient in the small things that have thrusted that we're gonna help fill their churches as well. We can't handle them. We'll send them to somebody that can, but we're not going to lose them. Hello? Hello? We're going to help our brother build his church too. Now watch, this is what I hear the Holy Spirit saying. The Holy Spirit's saying, there's been somebody that's been indifferent and cold. They've been in a spirit of apathy, complacent. But just here lately, they've been feeling this word saying, thrust, thrust. Thrust, thrust. There's been some spiritual movement on their part and they're just thrusting and they're putting forth effort. They're praying more than they've ever prayed. They're beginning to come to the house of God more than they've ever come. Every now and then they'll go make a trip to the altar that they've never done before in their life. They're beginning to worship better. 
They're beginning to pay attention. They're being more directed by the Spirit. And they're sitting there. And they don't know what it's all about. But they just feel that thrust out a little bit. Just get out of your comfort zone. And then I see the Lord just looking to and fro. And he's seeing these people that are thrusting. And he says, I see your effort. I see that you've done your part. I know that I've got more for you, but you can't go there because if I showed you everything I wanted to give you, you wouldn't have the ability to receive it. But I love you too much to let you stay where you're at. I love you so much that I'm not gonna let you just dwell there in the midst of your thrust because you have a passion and because you're beginning to just make a step. How many remember when you were saved? The minute you got out of that seat and took that first step to the altar, before you ever got to the altar, you were saved. Amen, he met you before you ever got down there. And this is what Jesus is doing to the people that thrust. He's looking and he's watching and, he's hurt, and finally he locks in on somebody that's got a heart. Devin, I see your thrust and this is what he does. by the seat of the britches. And he says, launch. And then he just goes up and he looks at people. Launch. Launch. And all of a sudden, before they ever even had a chance to think about it, they find themselves right out in the mix, smack dab of God's overflow. And y'all want to tell you that's what God said. Would you stand with me this morning? Some of you are hearing that word thrust out a little bit. God can't do this to your life until you thrust. And there's some of you that's been thrusting and you're hearing the word. You're fixing to hear the word. Launch! 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 I want to invite those that are feeling the need. This is just a bow of faith, a bow obedience, just like Jedediah. He didn't know what was in store for him today. And the first stage of this is to thrust. If you're feeling like that you need to get out of your comfort zone, you've been in the same spiritual level way too long, and you've grown to a certain level and you've just stopped. You're just stalemated. Nothing's taking place. Not too long ago, there was a man that said, I just don't feel God anymore. A young lady came to me and said, I just, I just don't feel like I'm growing anymore. I just feel like I'm stalemated. You know what? Then God's saying to you, thrust. Thrust.